Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Thank you to Glenn and to Marie and Lockie for the wisdom they're sharing through the CAP Money tip. Uh, if you would like to know more, you can email cap at horsham.org.au and you can register for a CAP Money course whenever that might be coming up in the very near future. And Narelle and I can vouch for those courses. We did one quite a few years ago and found it invaluable to have someone speaking into our finances, provide some wisdom and some guidance, some expertise on how we might be able to streamline things, how we can do better at it. I really appreciate Glenn's tip on purchases because I used to be big on retail therapy. And I mean therapy, I did it because that was one way that I felt better about myself rather than actually dealing with what was going on inside, I would go and spend money on the outside. So I would accumulate a whole lot of stuff for no real reason. Some of it was necessary, some of it was needed, but just, you know, I had more clothes than I needed, more things throughout the house more than I actually needed. So come to the time when we were getting ready to go to America five years ago and in order to streamline, in order to downsize to what we would only need while we were living overseas um, and in order to raise money to move overseas, we sold a whole lot of stuff. We sold a house, we sold our car, we sold off and and gave away a whole bunch of things that we weren't going to need, at least for the short term. And so you were left with a few beds and some cupboards and a whole bunch of boxes and we stored them in the corner of somebody's garage and didn't really miss all the stuff that we got rid of, all the stuff that I had accumulated over the years. And so now I'm kind of in the mindset, I'm like, what else can I get rid of? Do I actually really need this? Do I need this stuff? Maybe not. But it's been a process to actually get to that point, to go, what is important? What do I need to hold on to? What is valuable, not just in terms of the money it might cost, but in terms of the value it will bring to my life, to our life as a family. Uh, And that's been quite a process. Simon reflected on the fact that when he and Andrea got married, uh, they had quite a different approach to finances. He was a spender and she was a saver. And I would say for Norella and myself, that was probably quite similar I remember early on in our marriage, I said to her, we might have been on our honeymoon. This is bad, isn't it? I said, babe, I don't really have any money left at all. Like that's not what you want to hear on your honeymoon, is it? But that was true because I wasn't actually really planning for the future. I was living week to week, paycheck to paycheck, um, and that's just how I operated. I didn't have some kind of long-term vision on what I was going to do with the finances. We talked about saving for a house, but I hadn't been intentional up to that point about doing it. So after we got married, then we started working on saving for a house and we bought a house and then we sold that house when we shifted to Melbourne to go to theological college um, in the early 2000s. So we went there and then we shifted to Horsham and that's when we bought another house and then we sold that house to go to America. So now um, we ended up getting rid of a whole bunch of stuff, as I said, to go to America and then when we came back, I felt like we had this fresh opportunity to start again. Because when we got married, I felt like we had to have the best of everything and knew everything. 
So we bought new couch, new fridge, new washing machine. Uh, I think our kitchen table was given to us by somebody. And that would, might have been the only secondhand thing that we had in our house because I thought everything else has to be new. And it doesn't. So coming back from America and we are starting again pretty much all over again. We come back. We don't have a house. We don't have a car. We live with Narelle's parents for a while. They lend us money to buy a car. So we bought um, a car that would would get us by and, and is still serving us well. And my parents lent some money to um, buy computers for me to run a business. Um, and we we were given a whole lot of things and we bought secondhand uh, things as well. But I kind of enjoyed the experience. In some ways it helped redeem the experience from when I first got married when I felt like looking back I'd spent a whole lot of time and energy and money on stuff that wasn't really that important. So here we were going through this experience of setting up home again. Secondhand, gifts, it was okay. It worked all right for us. It is working all right for us. We still have secondhand things. We still have things that have been loaned to us or given to us. And we're doing okay. We're doing better than okay because, and I shared this to give glory to God. No longer are we living day to day as we have in the past. We're now out to month to month we can live. We're building up um, a safety nest as it were, a safety net that if something comes up, we have actually have the money to pay for it. We've, we've been in a season when a bill would come in and we would have to make arrangements for how we were going to pay that off over time or the due date would come up and we would just wait until the money was there. The due date was a bit of a suggestion, not necessarily the rule. And that's not a great way to be. And that's a horrible way to be because it's not actually very peaceful to live like that. We didn't want to be like that. That was a situation that we were in. But slowly but surely over time, We've worked hard and God has been so good and so generous to us to actually move us forward, to pay off debts, to have some debts forgiven, um, to get to the point where we, we don't owe any money now. We have some through uh, hex debt kind of thing, but apart from that, we are debt free. We don't have a credit card. We got rid of that when we went to America and we don't want one. We don't want to go back down that path. And I'm not telling you this because... I'm brilliant at money. I'm really not that brilliant at money. Ask people that know me. I'm not that great. Awesome at spending it. Apart from that, not really. But when it comes to having a target of building for the future and building for a vision and building for something beyond this week, this month, this paycheck, yeah, I'm on board with that. And so God has been work in me, in us as a family, as a couple. And he's been so generous and so kind to actually bring us to this point that we're in now where we can start to dream bigger and build bigger, not for ourselves, but for our children and our children's children for a generation that we will never see. And that's part of what I wanted to share with you today. In all of this, we need to be able to submit everything that we have and everything that we are, everything we are, to the will of the Father. We submit it to him and say, God, we lay it all down at your feet. Every good thing is a gift from above. And so I give it all to you, Lord. I just lay it all down at your feet, that you would be honoured and glorified in every aspect of the stuff that I have, the money that I earn, the money that I spend, 
the money that I save, what I'm doing to invest and build for a future that I might not necessarily see. Here's a story. Let's go to 2 Samuel 24. And I want to share with you uh, this story of uh, King David. He's getting towards the end of his life. Um, And he has, God calls him to actually take a census of the nation, yet David doesn't take a census of the nation. He counts all his fighting men. And so when his military leaders come back and they give him the number of uh, fighting men in the nation, and it takes him like nine months to actually go through the nation and do this. They come back and they give him the number and then David is racked with guilt. And you can read that story in 2 Samuel 24. And the Lord comes to him and says, okay, well, David is lamenting his sin. He deeply, regret, deeply regrets what he has done and the sin that he's committed. So God sends the prophet Gad to David and says, all right, here's your three options. How's this for options? Uh, this is 2 Samuel 24, um, verse 13. Shall there come upon you three years of famine in your land or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you or three days of plague in your land? Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. So you've got a choice. Three years of famine, three months of fleeing from enemies or three days of plague. This is the consequence that David faced for sinning against the Lord. That's not much of a choice, is it? Three years, three months, three days. Well, I don't know about you, but I I would probably choose as David chose, and he chose the three days of plague. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the end of the time designated. And 70,000 of the people from Dan to Bathsheba died. 70,000 people died because David stepped out of line with the will of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that you sin, you go against the will of the Lord, that the Lord will send a plague. I'm just talking about the severity of what happens when we don't actually submit all that we have and all that we are to the heart of the Father. What happens in those moments? How deeply the Lord takes it when we don't choose to honour him with what we have. So the Lord unleashes this plague on the nation and he sends an angel to actually take this course of action. And we read in verse 16, when the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord was grieved because of the calamity and said to the angel who was afflicting the people, enough, withdraw your hand. Now here's a bit we need to remember. The angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of Araruna the Jebusite. And when David saw the angel who was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall upon me and my family. It's this moment David takes responsibility for his actions, for his own sin. As the king of the nation, his actions, his sin have repercussions for the people that he's leading. And so he actually takes the responsibility for it and say, enough pouring it out on these people. Let the responsibility be on me. David's personal responsibility is the key moment here because then he's uh, instructed by the prophet Gad to go to that threshing floor um, that was owned by Aruna, the Jebusite, Arauna, sorry. So David goes up to this threshing floor. 
which is a common kind of meeting place. It's generally on a, on a raised part of the land um, and it's a big open space. So it was common for these threshing floors to be used for uh, ceremonies or rituals or whatever it might be because they were a great place to gather people. So David goes there to make a sacrifice. He goes there to offer burnt offerings for his sin and to make up and for peace offerings as well. Excuse me. So he goes there um, as Gad instructs him. And then Arauna looked and saw the king and his men coming toward him. He went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord and the plague on the people may be stopped. So from David's response, the plague is actually still unfolding and will unfold until David can make this sacrifice. And so Arauna, in honour and respect for the king, he says to him, well, king, here you go. You may have my threshing floor. You may have the uh, sacrifices that you need in order to make these sacrifices. You may have the animals you need. Uh, you may have the wood in order to burn. Here, I offer it all as a gift. But the king, King David, in verse 24, replied to Arauna, no, I, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David has made this trip and he's come to see Arauna in Jerusalem to make these sacrifices pivotal in the nation's history, in David's history as he gets near to the end of his life and says this sacrifice will be worthless if it doesn't cost me something. A sacrifice has to be costly. Otherwise it's not a sacrifice. It might be a gift, it might be a token gesture, but it's not a sacrifice. This is one of the reasons that we, we have tithes and offerings or, or part of the heart behind tithes and offerings, that they have to be a sacrifice that we bring. We don't have animal sacrifices these days. That would be, that would be something else, wouldn't it? But we make sacrifices in other ways with other things. What is it in my life that I actually need to sacrifice to see the will of the Lord come about? And I'm not saying, like Simon talked about last week, I'm not saying that you can buy favour with the Lord. I'm not saying that I make a sacrifice in order that I would get from God. No, but in everything that I have, everything that I own, my money, whatever it might be, I'm willing to sacrifice it all and lay it all on the line in order to come under his blessing and his provision so that I can rely on him rather than on my own strength, on my own understanding, because that will just fall short. So David buys this threshing floor for 50 pieces of silver, 50 shekels of silver. He buys it from Arauna and he makes the burnt offerings and the peace or the fellowship offerings to the Lord and the plague is stopped. But this isn't even the cool bit. Like we've used, we, we've used that scripture before, but this isn't, it gets better than this. Because as you read on into 1 Kings and Solomon, David and Bathsheba, Bathsheba's son, Solomon becomes king. And where does Solomon build the temple? One of the most lavish buildings ever built. 
one of the most expensive buildings ever built, but on that threshing floor. And fast forward centuries and Jesus begins teaching in the temple, in a temple. It might have been rebuilt, knocked down, taken over a few times. But where's Jesus teaching? On this threshing floor or at least near it, if not on it. No, it's no longer a threshing floor. And I never realized it until I was getting ready for today. But here, David pays a relatively small price for him, 50 shekels of silver, to buy something that was going to be given to him. Yet he considered it valuable and important enough that he needed to pay a price for that space. And it wasn't just to make a sacrifice in the moment, as important as that was as much as that brought peace on the nation and on David and his family. But he invested in what was to come after he was no longer there because he bought the place where Solomon would build the temple of the Lord. He bought the place where Jesus would walk and teach his disciples what the kingdom of God looked like. And I've no doubt Solomon knew very well how it came to be that that land was in his father's name. And no doubt that Jesus, knowing scripture, knowing Israel's history like he did, would have known the very place that he stood was once where his father, David, made the sacrifice to see the plague end. The plague of three days came to an end because of the sacrifice David made on the threshing floor. See, this is part of what's shifted in my spirit when it comes to thinking about money, about finances, about wealth, about possessions, about provision, because it's not just about living paycheck to paycheck. That's really short-lived. But part of it is that the Lord has um, put something in me, stirred something within me that says, I don't want to build... Even for my own life, I I don't even want to just build for my children's lives, but I want to build for their children and the children to come after them. I want to build for this city, to see this city have um, the kingdom of heaven come and, and God's will be done through every aspect of it. And I get to play a part in that, in the sacrifices, the choices, the investments that I make here and now today because I'm not just doing it. For now, I'm doing it for all that is to come as I submit what I do, how I invest to the will of the Father. And Jesus, hundreds of years after King David, made a sacrifice. He paid a price that had to be paid that nobody else could give it to him. Nobody else could pay the price in order to have right relationship with the Father. Jesus paid a price that the plague of sin and death would come to an end once and for all. Jesus was the sacrifice that brought the sacrificial system to an end by paying a price, by becoming the sacrifice on the hill known as Calvary. He prayed, Jesus went into the garden and prayed three times to the Father, not Lord, Father, God, take this cup away from me. 
Yeah, not my will, says Jesus. Not my will, says the Son of God, but yours, Father. Your will be done. In my life, in this moment, your will be done. Now, it, it, it blows my mind to contemplate that here is the Son of God on his knees crying out to his heavenly Father, the one who sent him, saying, God, Dad, if there's another way. But he knew that there wasn't, that he had to be the sacrifice. He was sent to be the sacrifice for all of humankind. And so Jesus chooses to pay that price for, for you and for me and for everybody that doesn't even know him as Lord and Saviour yet. And maybe you're watching this right now and you don't know that Jesus paid the price for your sin. Jesus paid the price so that you don't have to die, that you get to have eternal life with the Father. And that eternal life can start in this moment because you don't have to pay that price. This is a crazy thing. David paid a price. He wasn't willing to receive the gift because he had to pay the price to make the sacrifice. Yet Jesus pays the price. Jesus became the sacrifice so that we don't have to pay the price, so that we can actually receive the gift freely given. We can receive the new life that he has to offer for us. And in doing that, it's not just for ourselves, but it's something that we get to receive, but we actually get to freely give it as well that when you and I became sons and daughters of God, when we became brothers and sisters in Christ, that we then have the responsibility, the privilege, the wonder of letting everybody around us know about the amazing gift that we have been given through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What are you building for? What are you investing in? What are you dreaming and believing for that maybe you won't even see in your lifetime? What are we as the Horsham Church of Christ believing, dreaming and building for that might take generations to come about? My hope, my dream, my ultimate desire is to see God's will being done on earth in my life, in my family, in Horsham, in Wimmera, in Australia, as it is in heaven. Now, I know that will probably take longer than my life, but I kind of think that's the best investment that I can make to give all that I have, all that I am, to be a part of seeing his kingdom come and his will be done. Now, maybe you haven't received Jesus as Lord and Saviour, Maybe you haven't said yes to the free gift that he has to offer you. And maybe it's confusing to think that the price that Jesus paid, he now gives freely for you to have relationship with the Father. If that's you, I invite you to stand or kneel right where you are. Maybe you're sitting there watching with family. Maybe you're watching with friends and maybe they don't know Jesus and you're not sure what it will look like. But I just want to invite you to step into the Father's grace and to receive the gift that he has as I pray with you and for you now. So, Father, for those that are watching right now, for those at the sound of my voice that maybe haven't said yes to you, would they be aware of your presence? 
as they cry out to you, Abba, Father, and receive the gift that you have to give them through your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. If you're in that space, in that moment now, I just invite you to pray with me. Father, I receive the gift that you have to give me. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for the wrong that I have chosen to commit against you, Lord. I say yes to you. I receive the forgiveness that you have to give me and the free gift of eternal life that I have because of the sacrifice made by your son, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you loved me so much that you sent your one and only son. And now in believing in you, I can have life forever with you. I receive you now into my heart as Lord and Saviour of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that prayer, we are incredibly excited for you that you have entered into the kingdom of God. And we would love to celebrate with you, encourage you, uh, champion you and disciple you. Um, and just invite you to share, maybe with family and friends, the people, obviously they're going to know if you have prayed that prayer. Um, but don't keep it to yourself. Share it with somebody that you know that is a follower of Jesus, that they can encourage you um, and cheer for you in that journey. You can also let us know um, by emailing us. We'll have some more details on that shortly. Maybe you need some financial wisdom, some financial help. I encourage you to sign up for the CAP course coming up. Maybe you got it all together. Maybe you've stockpiled all the wealth that you need. Maybe you are on the home straight, so to speak. There's still investments to be made. We're still desiring to see the kingdom of heaven come on earth as it is in heaven. I invite you to dream, dream big with God, to partner with him, to, to hear his voice, to see what he wants to do in you and through you. Because if you're alive, if you're breathing, there's still something that God wants to do in your life. There's still blessing to be poured out on your life in order to be a blessing to the people around you. May God bless you, your family, your friends, your home today and every day.